Tonight we'll look at the call of Elijah, which is found in 1 Kings chapter 19. Turn with me if you would there. We'll be doing two messages just on the call of Elijah. There's so much within this portion. So much within this portion. Last week we looked at how God will always have a remnant. Always have a remnant. According to the election of grace. And it was an introductory message to to this series, and we, we, we will see as we study this wonderful life of Elijah, the prophet, that he performed more miracles than any other prophet in the Old Testament. And again, he pictures God incarnate in the, in the flesh. He pictures Christ incarnate in the flesh. His miracles are miracles of mercy, miracles of mercy. <clears throat> again, Elijah was the prophet of judgment, and Elijah is a prophet of mercy and grace. Now, found out something, too, <clears throat> from Joe Terrell last week. We actually pronounce the names wrong. It's El-Jah and El-Shah in the Hebrew. El being the name of God, right? So that's the first part of their, their names, God. And Shah, for Elijah, it's God is Jah, which is Jehovah. For Elisha, it is, it's El Shah. And Shah is salvation. God is salvation. Isn't that wonderful? That's absolutely wonderful, isn't it? Oh, my. And last week we looked at how God will always have a remnant according to the election of grace. And we saw that Elijah, he, he thought he was the only one left. He said, I'm the only one left in Israel. I'm the only one left. And look at what it says in verse 18 and 19 of 1 Kings chapter, chapter 19. We find out here that God has a remnant still. The nation had went off into gross idolatry, but he has a remnant. And this isn't even including Judah. This is just including the tribes of Israel. Judah wasn't included in this number. Oh my. Elijah thought he was the only believer, but the our, our, the one he thought I'm the only I'm the only one true believer in 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 the true God, the true and living God. And God says, No, no, you're not. I've got seven thousand more in Israel who have not yet bowed their knee to Baal. Look at this. Verse 18, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Oh, my. And in 1 Kings chapter, or verse 16, we see the first mention of Elijah the prophet in the scriptures. This is the first mention of Elijah the prophets in the scriptures is in verse, verse 16. In Juha, son of... Nimshah shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Ambeli Mohola shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. That's the first mention of Elijah in the scriptures, right there. <clears throat> and as we read our text, we will see that Elijah had no idea that he was a prophet of God. Now, we already see in verse 16, God's already called him a prophet. He says, man. 
But Elijah hadn't been called yet. And God says, he's a prophet. He's one of mine. Is that not so how it happened with us? We had no idea we were heirs and joint heirs. We had no idea. Do you know the spirit of God's son come into our heart because we're his sons? That's why we're born again. Because we're his people. We're the elect of God. Everyone else just gets passed by, beloved. And there's nothing special in us. There's nothing special in us that would cause us to be blessed by our great God. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. So Elijah has no, no idea that God has appointed him to be a prophet. <clears throat> and look what it says in verse 16 there. Look what it says in verse 16. It says, and, uh, Shall thou anoint to be prophet in thy room? God's already ordained that he's going to be the prophet. He's already ordained it. Now, we're going to see Elijah's not looking for any of this. He's not looking for any of this at all. He has no idea of his calling. And this is true of every born-again, blood-washed saint. You know why? We have no idea before we're saved that we're one of God's elect. But the scripture declares that God hath not appointed us to wrath. Over in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 9 and 10, it says, God hath not appointed us to wrath, that being God's people. God the Father has not appointed us to wrath. Why? Because the wrath that was due us, who did it fall upon? It fell upon Christ. It fell upon the substitute. So we're not appointed to wrath. My, oh, my. This is the work of God. It says, it says there, it says, God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way we can obtain salvation. It can't be by anything we do. I was talking to a fellow this week. And he says, well, what do we differ on? And I said, the will. And he goes, well, I believe God's sovereign. I said, yeah. And he goes, well, what is it? What do we? I said, it's the will. And he goes, oh, you believe that, that when we fell, that we totally fell, right? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, I believe the will didn't fall. You know what? In all the times that I've witnessed the people, I've never heard that. So everything fell according to him but the will. So now I've, now I've got some questions for him. Is the will sinless? How can it be? How can it be? No. I'll tell you what. When we fell on Adam, beloved, we fell totally. And we were plunged into darkness. See, Chris Cunningham, good friend of mine out back, back down, down south, I haven't talked to him in a long time, but when I talked to him, I had a great talk with him, and he said, you get it wrong with the fall, you get it wrong with it all. See? You get it wrong with the fall of man. That, that fall was toll. We were plunged into darkness and wickedness and sin, beloved. Our, our minds, our wills, everything. Why do we die? The wages of sin is death, right? Sin kills us, beloved. It kills us. Now, thankfully for the believer in Christ, when we die, we don't go to hell. We go to glory. I was just reading yesterday, but they executed this fella, this Muslim fella. And he said, I, I'm, I'm, I'm at peace. I'm ready to go. 
And I said to Vicky, could you imagine that? The second he died, he's in hell. My, oh my. He's not at peace. Let me tell you, he ain't at peace. There's only one mediator between God and men. There's only one way to heaven, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And God did not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, by his complete and finished work, who died for us, Paul writes to the Thessalonians. Whether we wake or sleep, whether we're alive or dead, we should live together with him. That goes into the thing with we should glorify God in everything we do, right? Do everything to the glory of God. Oh, my. My, oh, my. <coughs> so every true born-again, blood-washed believer <coughs> is not looking for Christ. Christ seeks us out. He finds us. And we will see in our text tonight that the calling of Elijah, the prophet, will take, Elijah will take Elijah's office. He's the successor. When the Lord has had Elijah finish his course, then Elijah will come in. But there's going to be about 10 years where Elijah's going to serve. Elijah's going to serve Elijah. And some believe that's when the school of the prophets was built too. And they both taught at the school of the prophets. That's just a commentator saying that, and do you just put that out there for, for, for our thinking? Look at First Kings nineteen nineteen. Here comes the calling of Elijah the prophet. So he departed thence and found Elijah the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelve. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. Take note of this scenario. Men look at God's calling from a human standpoint and refer to them as calling, suggesting that they are exercised in hope, in hope that there would be a positive response. But God's calling on a, on the, for the believer in Christ and for someone who's going to preach the gospel and for these prophets, it's not... It's not done with a hope that we would respond yes. <laughs> it's invincible. It's irresistible. We cannot resist it. That's why the scripture says we are made willing in the day of God's power. Because the scripture tells us in our natural state, we are not willing to come to Christ. There's none that see, you, hear, you hear me say this all the time, I'm going to keep saying it until God gives me breath to not say it anymore. We the scripture says we do not seek God. We do not understand the things of God. It says there's none righteous, no, not one. That's our state. When God comes to us, he finds us in that state, beloved. And there's absolutely nothing we can do to save ourselves. It's a mighty move of the Holy Spirit of God that draws us to Christ. Now, do we come running to Christ? Absolutely. Because we're made willing. I don't deny that man has a will. I just say that man's will is tied to his nature. So if man has a dead nature, what's he going to do? He's only going to choose sin. Right? 
but if he has a new nature, born again of God's Holy Spirit. Frank wrote a good article about this I read today. And about how, my oh my, when you're born again of the Holy Spirit of God, now we've got a war in us. And I'll tell you what, ask any believer if they've got a battle with sin now. <laughs> We're, we know what Paul means, right? When he talks about the battle between the two natures in Romans chapter 7. But praise be to God, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We who are born again of the Holy Spirit of God, there's no condemnation for us. There's no wrath for us. Because that wrath fell upon Christ in our room and place. And we say, hallelujah, what a savior. God, with, with God and him calling his people, it's not up for an optional response. When Christ says that, that, that his sheep will come to him, they will hear his voice. He's not saying, well, maybe if they exercise their supposed free will. He says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will know why is cast out. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and they what? Follow me. There's nothing in there about it. We're just responding to God's work in us. There is one second we have no faith, the next second we have faith after we're born again. <laughs> and we say, I believe. My, oh, my. Nothing we mustered up, is it? My. So it's not up to optional response. It's not up to we who are the receivers of grace to make this call effectual by our so-called free will. God makes it effectual. And it's an irresistible, I like to call it an invincible calling. You can't stop it. That's why Henry used to say, we're on the trail of God's sheep, and Christ is going to get every one of them. He will. They're not going to be, do you know there's not going to be one sheep for whom his blood was shed that will ever be lost? Including you and I, beloved? We can't, we can't unsave ourselves. We never would want to. <laughs> but we can't. God has assigned men who he's, who he's saved to preach the gospel to other men. Save sinners. God has assigned saved sinners to preach the gospel to other sinners. Now there's a general call, right? Goes out to all. And then there's an effectual call. That's why sometimes we see a family and the Lord go and save one and pass right by the other. Pass right by the other. My oh my. I know, I know children who were raised in the gospel. Right? Right by them. And the Lord says, somebody over here. Now, we're still praying for, for, for my son and my daughter and your, your children too and your children. We, we still pray for our kids, don't we? Continuously pray for them all the time. Jill prays for her kids already, I, I imagine. Yeah. Jake told me his little littles, he's already praying for them. That the Lord would save them. 
But we, we can't control that, can we? That's God's doing, but we can still pray for him. Zane says, what's the best thing we can do for one another? Pray for each other. I like that. I think Brother Zane hit the nail on the head with that one. Pray for each other. Pray for our loved ones. God has assigned, again, men to call others to, to belief and repentance. The general call goes out. Flee to Christ. Flee to Christ. But that's different than the effectual call, which only God can perform. And he does so on his elect. Again, he makes us will in the day of his power. And this, this call to salvation is nowhere dependent upon the one, the one doing the calling, right? By preaching or by the receiver. It's not dependent on either of us. It's dependent upon God Almighty and God alone. God the Holy Spirit must move. <clears throat> he must come upon us in our dead state and give us life, beloved. You must be born again. In our nat- quicken, amen, in our natural state, we oppose God, beloved. Think of this. We oppose God in our natural state, and he makes us willing. We're like, praise you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, my. That's incredible. What mercy, what grace is shown to us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And he makes us willing with this effectual, invincible call, beloved. Irresistible call. We're drawn with, do you know the scripture says we're drawn with cords of love? That's the everlasting love of God, beloved. Drawing us. Oh, Christ has loved me from before the foundation of the world. My. That's wonderful. A sinner such as me? Yeah. All according to God's eternal plan. All according to God's mercy. All according to God's grace shown to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we are granted faith. We're born again by the almighty power of God. Now think of that. The same power that rose Christ from the grave raises us from our dead natural state. Raises us up to life, beloved. Life in Christ. My, oh my. It'd be like seeing someone rise from the dead. Lazarus, <laughs> come forth. <laughs> you know why he said Lazarus, right? Because otherwise every grave would have busted open, right? <laughs> if he had said come forth, everything, oh my, there'd be, there'd be coffins flying open everywhere there. <laughs> yeah. He, that's, and that's not only a picture of effectual call. That's a picture of invincible call, right? Because Lazarus, he was dead. And there, there goes another question. Can a dead man exercise a will? No, not at all. When we see people who, are, who have passed away, they, they have no will. Their will's not going, okay, well, I'm going to get up out of this coffin. I'm going to come walk, go down and have a coffee with you, and I'm going to crawl back in. No, they're dead. They have no movement, no life. And that's how we are. That's how God finds us, beloved. That's how he finds us. My, oh my. And we wholly cast our souls upon Christ, don't we? All because of the work of God. And then we learn all through our walk, through this life, we learn salvations of the Lord, salvations of the Lord, salvations of the Lord. 
And we just, we can hear that every day and just keep praising God, can't we? Because <laughs> we've been taught the truth of it. Salvations of the Lord, not of man, lest any man should boast. Not, not, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let's read verses 15 to 21. And we'll see the effectual, invincible call of God for Elijah to be the prophet in Elijah's place. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jeru, the son of Nimshai, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shephat, of Ambi-Mehola, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. It's already part of God's plan that, that Elijah would be the prophet to succeed Elijah, and he hadn't even been called yet. Look at that. That shows our God's sovereignty, beloved. That shows his sovereignty. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elijah slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Now look at this, verses 19 to 21. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shepet, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he with the 12. So here he's, he's plowing the fields with 12 yoke of oxen, 12 others, 11 others before him, and he's plowing on the He's plowing on the 12th, the 12th one. Several commentators said his family is very wealthy. To have that many oxen plowing a field, that's a lot of folks. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. Didn't even, did he say a word? He just went by him, cast his mantle upon him. He <laughs> kept walking. How do we know he kept walking? And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. <laughs> Elijah just walking off. <laughs> Cast his mantle and was like, okay, I'm going to keep walking. And he said, let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, go back again for what have I done to thee? He didn't say nothing to him. What have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Now here's the call of Elijah. In the scriptures, in the scriptures, when we see God's calling, it's always connected to God's sovereignty. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 8. It's always connected to God's predestinated purpose, his plan. We saw in that scripture I read in 1 Thessalonians, God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. That was all through Jesus Christ our Lord. That was all part of God's predestinated plan and purpose. That we would be saved. Look at this, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30. 
And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. All things. We don't always see that, but it's true. Everything works for our good. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. You mentioned predestination and people get a little upset. Well, tell them we believe that we're we're predestinated to be conformed to the image of the Son. And watch them try to dance out of that. No one, no one would be opposed to the believer being conformed to the image of Christ. My, oh my, no believer would be opposed to that. Do you want to be more holy? Do you want to, you want to, do you hate sin now? Are you looking forward to being in heaven and not having any sin at all? Oh, my. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate. Look at this. Them he also what? Called. So it was part of Elijah being a prophet was part of God's predestinated plan. Just as for you and I to be believers was part of God's predestinated plan. Whether people believe it or not, whether they oppose it, that doesn't change the fact, does it? This, this before us is a fact, beloved. And then he also called, and whom he called, then he also justified, and whom he justified, then he also glorified. Look at that, all past tense, isn't it? Isn't that amazing? Turn now, if you would, to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. See, God's calling of a, of a man or a woman to salvation in Christ, or God's calling of a man to ministry, or as we see in this case, Elijah being a prophet, there's no more prophets. There's no more prophets. Let's just clear that up. Those who say there's prophets in this world, they're just lying. There's no more prophets. Yeah, yeah, they're in, they're in the scriptures and they're alone. Who was the great prophet anyways? Christ. <laughs> He's the great prophet, beloved. Oh, my. Oh, my. Look at this. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14. Now remember, the, the churches at Thessalonica were, were young churches in Christ. Young churches established. And people say, well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't teach election to young churches. Well, he, he mentioned it in 1 first, first Thessalonians, and look what he mentions here too again. But we are bound to always give thanks. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you. So he's writing to the saints there. Brethren, beloved of the Lord. Look at that. Beloved of the Lord. Love with a divine love. My. Oh, my. Let's just meditate on that sometime, eh? Just beloved of the Lord. Because God hath from the beginning chosen you. When? From the beginning. Well, from the beginning of my life? No. <laughs> no. No. From eternity. From eternity chosen us to what to salvation why do we believe why do we believe as believers because God chose us to salvation isn't that something that's wonderful through how through sanctification of the spirit you must be born again in belief of the truth you must believe on Christ right Two things that are must. We must be born again 
we must believe on Christ. He who does not believe on Christ is damned. He who believes on Christ shall be with him forever in glory. And who made us to differ? Who made us to differ from all the folks we know? Only God. Nothing we did at all. All by the grace and mercy of God. My, it's absolutely wonderful. So when God calls a believer, he enables, he enables us to come to Christ. Do you know that? We're, we have no ability to come to Christ. Do you know God enables us to come to Christ? Because by faith, what do we do? We look to Christ. Who does the faith come from? God. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He enables us, beloved. He enables we who are rebels, natural in our natural state. And now we praise him. Oh, what a great God we serve, beloved. Oh, he's, he's made us willing in the day of his power. He's regenerated us by his almighty power, made us willing by his almighty power and given us faith as a gift, faith in Christ. And when we consider God's calling, we find out that when we consider our salvation, we find out it's simply but a disclosure of his great plan and purpose. Isn't that wonderful? It's, a, it, it's simply a disclosure of his eternal purpose. He eternally purposed us to be saved. It's wonderful. And in the matter of calling one to the office of prophet, it's a revelation of the eternal purpose of God. My, oh my. Look, turn, if you would, one more place over to Jeremiah. We're going to be turning to a couple places, actually. Jeremiah, and then put your finger in Galatians chapter 4. Jeremiah, though, look at this. This is absolutely wonderful. Jeremiah chapter 1. Look at this. How long has God known us? How long has God known us? Before we were formed in the womb. Did you know that? Oh, this is wonderful. <laughs> I'll tell you what. It's getting me excited. Amen. Look at Jeremiah. Look at, this, look at this wonderful truth. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, before we were even conceived, beloved, I knew you. I knew you. Before we were even conceived. And before thou comest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. How? How? Oh, God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth, beloved. And Nick, look at this. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nation. Do you know God ordains the salvation of every one of his sheep? Now, Jeremiah was ordained to be a prophet. Elijah was ordained to be a prophet. Elijah was ordained to be a prophet. Right? Isaiah was ordained to be a prophet. You can go through all the Old Testament names. They were all ordained to be a prophet. But, first and foremost, they were all ordained in Christ to be God's people. Do you know they were chosen the same time we were in Christ? 
You ever think of that? I remember Spurgeon saying that. He said, he said we were chosen the same time Paul was chosen, the same time all the Old Testaments were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Somebody said, well, how can God do that? Oh, if you start to learn who God is and how infinite he is and how we cannot understand his ways, right? We, and, and by God-given faith, we believe, right? We believe. Our God's great. He can do all things. There's nothing he cannot do. So, it's, it is a truth that every sinner saved by God's grace is ordained to salvation. And when he or she is called by the grace of God through the preaching of the gospel, that call is a disclosure. It's a disclosure, beloved, that Christ has already redeemed them. I preach the gospel of a successful salvation that's already done, and God does the saving. It's already finished, beloved. And there's absolutely nothing for us to do. Christ has already redeemed his people at Calvary's cross. Now the Holy Spirit is going out and fetching them and gathering them. And he will get every single one of God's sheep who are lost in their natural state. Look at this in Galatians chapter 4. Who appear like, they appear like they're goats, but they've never been goats. They have never been goats. Galatians chapter 4. Oh my. Galatians chapter 4, we read verses 1 to 7. Oh, the gospel reveals, now listen, to the gospel reveals a salvation that's complete. It's done. There's nothing to be taken away and there's nothing to be added to it. It's already finished. That's what the, the true preaching of the gospel is, is preaching the salvation that's already complete. And it reveals the fact of a finished work done for God's people, for us, for his elect. Even before we were born again. We were redeemed before we were even born again, brother. Oh my! We were, we were heirs of salvation when it looked like we were goats. We were children of God. And then one day at the appointed time, at the exact appointed time by God, we heard, we heard the shepherd's voice and we were born again by the Holy Spirit of God. Ooh, look at this. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. Look at that. Though we possess everything in Christ, we have no clue. No clue. Look at this, but is under tutors and governors until the appointed time of the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were, where were we? That were under the law. Schoolmaster, that's what that is, yeah? Under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. And I love this next verse. Look at, look at, this is a mountaintop scripture. Look at this. And because ye are sons, because we're sons, because we're heirs, we look like goats. But because we're heirs, what, what does God do? He sends the spirit of his son into our hearts. And now we cry, Abba, Father. <laughs> it's magnificent. 
It's absolutely magnificent. Oh, what a Savior. And because ye are sons, God, God did this. He has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts. And we're born again, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. My goodness. Did we have any idea we were heirs of God before the Lord saved us? We didn't even care about God. I'll tell you, I have never seen mercy like this. I have never seen love like this. As much as I love my wife and my kids and love you all, this love, this mercy we have set here before us, and because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Oh, my. My. Do you know we actually possess then what, what we're reading here? We actually possess eternal salvation in Christ. And when the hearing and the believing of the gospel occurred, we were, we were born again, right? But we were unaware that that salvation was already complete. It was already finished. In God's economy, it was done. Right? But we didn't know that. We didn't even know. I think of how, how I was before the Lord saved me. My thoughts of God, my, my, my speech, I'm ashamed. And I had no idea, though, that even back then, that God had purposed and planned and redeemed me 2,000 years ago at Calvary's cross. I'm nothing special. All of us would say that, right? All of us say that. We're nothing special. Oh, but God is so good. You know, he chooses the weak things of the world to confound the wise. Oh, it's amazing. We were already secured in Christ by the perfect sin-atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We were enemies in our minds with God, but we see here that we were heirs. And because we're sons, God sends the Spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit. What did Christ say? I'm going to send you a comforter. My, oh, my. Elijah was born a prophet, didn't even know it. You know that? Did he not say that, that did he not say to Jeremiah, you were born a prophet? In what we read, he was ordained by God. Elijah was ordained by God to be a prophet. We were ordained by God to be believers in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's absolutely amazing. That's absolutely amazing. My. All according to God's sovereign, eternal plan. The fact that he was already a prophet is suggested, actually, in our text. When Elijah was commanded to anoint him as a prophet. In God's eyes, he's already a prophet. Look at this. Look at uh, verses 15 and 16. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. 
and Jehu, the son of Nimshai, shall thou anoint to be king over Israel. Now, this is God setting up kings, isn't it? And Elijah, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-me-hola, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. God's already purposed it. This is, again, before Elijah is even called. Yeah, Sha, Elisha. And Elijah's anointing is grouped in there with the anointing of Hazel as king in Syria and Jew who's anointing as king of Israel. Now, after Elijah's call, Elijah still had some things to do that were ordained by God for him to do, for him to finish in the course of his ministry. And Elisha was already ordained, though, to the office of prophet. He's already ordained. In the purpose of God, it's already happened. But God had also purposed that he would serve Elijah for a certain season. For a certain season. Oh, my. And then he would become the prophet in the room and place of Elijah. And the fact that Elijah was anointed before he assumed his office is a revelation that there will never be a time. There will never be a time. There will never be a season that God that God has appointed that, that there will not be someone preaching his word. There will always be someone. There will always be a remnant. And think of this, even during the 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew, no prophet arose. No prophet arose. But the Pharisees kept the word safe, didn't they? Isn't that amazing? God still preserved his word. Even when there was no prophets. He's God. He's God. There'll never be a time when, when what this brings forth is there'll never be a time when there's not a witness of God. The word's a witness, isn't it? Of who God is. My, oh my. And the two prophets, again, they differ by name, by one letter. Elijah is a combination of two of God's names, El, which is God, and Jah, which is Jehovah, as I said earlier. So that's Elijah. And then Elisha is a combination, combined name, Eli, which is God, and Shah, which is salvation. So Elisha's name is God of salvation. And the name of Jehovah carries with it the concept of deliverance, doesn't it? The concept of deliverance. He revealed himself as such when he delivered Israel from Egypt. So Elijah's name means God is salvation. This name in the Old Testament declares God as he's revealed in Christ in the New Testament. Do you know that? Elijah's name declares God as he is pictured in the New Testament, as he's proclaimed in the New Testament. Who's our salvation? Christ. Who's God? Christ. God is salvation. Christ is salvation. 
Elijah's Elijah's name proclaims that, beloved. Oh, my. And then Elijah's name proclaims that God, God is Jehovah. Is Jehovah. The self-existent one, that means in the Hebrew. The self, he doesn't need anyone. He's not controlled by anyone. Isn't it wonderful? Oh, my. My, oh, my. The Lord Jesus Christ is the salvation of his people. He accomplished salvation. He obtained it. And there's salvation in no other but the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read again 1 Kings 19, verses 19 and 21. So he departed thence and found Elijah, the son of Shephat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelve, and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? He's not hindering him. He's not hindering him. And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and broiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Look at verse 19 there. Look at verse 19. God has already ordained and declared in his eternal purpose that Elijah would be that prophet spoken of in verse 16. And look at verse 19. So he departed thence and found Elijah the son of Shephat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he, and he with the twelve, and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. Didn't say a word. Cast his mantle upon him. Notice this, that Elijah journeyed to where Elijah was. Elijah didn't seek out Elijah because he didn't even know what was happening, did he? Who sought us out, beloved? Oh, God sought us out, didn't he? He sought us out. Here's Elisha. He's not looking for he's not looking for anything. He's he's just doing his everyday labor in the fields. He's plowing in his dad's field, working in his father's field, and there's twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he's the twelve. He's just working. You know notice also too? This is something that I noticed which I thought was fantastic. He's right there laboring with all the other people. He's the, he's the, the owner's son. And what's he doing? He's laboring with all the, all the workers. See? Shows you that the prophet is, is, is not, there's no, no prophet bump either, is there, at the foot of the cross. There's no preacher bump. Right? We're all the same, aren't we? We're all one in Christ. And I like that. To see him laboring along with the other workers at the farm. It's wonderful. And some commentators bring forth that his family must have been very wealthy to have 12 yoke of oxen plow in the field. It, uh, it um, brings forth that, that they were a wealthy family. They were a wealthy family. But he doesn't know that God has ordained him to be a prophet. He's tending the fields at his father's farm. And we see Elijah pass by him, cast his mantle upon him, and doesn't even say a word, just keeps walking. Now, I, I would think that pretty well everyone knew who Elijah was just by seeing him. 
because he was well known in Israel. Oh my. But he didn't say a word to Elijah. He just cast his mantle down and just kept walking. So Elijah, or Elijah journeyed to where Elijah was. Elijah's not looking for him. He's working away in the field. He has no idea that God's ordained him to be a prophet. He's tending his father's fields. Elijah passes by and casts his mantle upon him. Think of all the people that Elijah passed by in getting to where Elijah was. Think of all those people he passed by. My, oh, my. Think of our Lord when he's coming into, into the town and there's a blind man. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And people around him go, be quiet. He doesn't have time for you. Be quiet. And the scripture says, the Lord stood still. You know why? That's a cry of one of his sheep, beloved. That's the cry of, what, what can make Christ stand still? The, the, the cry of one of his lost sheep. Oh, my beloved. Isn't that wonderful? Just warms your heart, doesn't it? Just warms your heart. So we see there a picture of God's distinguishing grace. He passed by Elijah, passes by all these people in order to get to Elisha. What a wonderful picture of God's distinguishing grace. The Holy Spirit comes to those whom the Father gave to Christ, those who were redeemed by Christ. And because they are sons, God sends the spirit of his son into their hearts and they cry, Abba, Father. My. So we see the sovereignty of God at work here. We see the sovereignty of God in, in the divine choice of Elijah to be a prophet. We see the divine call of God for Elijah as, as unexpected. He's laboring in the field. Doing his everyday work. What were we doing before the Lord saved us? Just living our lives every day. Had no idea that God was going to call us by his grace and mercy. Had no idea the Holy Spirit was going to regenerate us. Had no idea we'd be given faith and repentance before God. And here we are, by the grace and mercy of God, beloved. Oh, my. Marvel as the call of we who are the people of God comes to us. Comes to us when we're not looking. And God calls us out of darkness out of our natural state of being dead in trespasses and sins. Scripture says this, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. That was our natural state. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto him, to them. For we preach not ourselves, Christ Jesus the Lord in ourselves, your servants for Jesus' sake, for God. This is 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who hath commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give us, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For God, beloved, that's the only difference for us. 
that God has done this for us. That's the only difference between you and me and our family members and friends who, who do not know Christ. My, oh, my. And this calling is seen, this call similar to Elijah is seen all through the Old Testament. What was Moses doing? What was Moses doing when God called him? Well, he was keeping Jethro's flock, wasn't he? Yeah. And then from the burning bush, the bush unburnt, there sounded the irresistible voice that sent him off into Egypt. My, oh, my. Then came Gideon. He was thrashing wheat. He wouldn't look for no call from God. Then David. What's David doing? He's sitting there. He's sitting in the pastures, tending sheep. And remember all the brothers? And there's, well, there's one missing. Now nah, you won't be interested in him. That's God's man. Oh, my. Oh, my, beloved. Oh, my. My. In Elijah. Amos. Amos was tending cattle. Elijah. He's plowing fields. <laughs> and God calls him. It's amazing. In all these cases, the divine call was absolutely unexpected. Unexpected. They did not seek out their calling. Also in the New Testament, in Christ's choice of, choice of the inner circle of his disciples, he comes to the son of Zebedee, the sons of Zebedee. What are they doing? Oh, they're fixing their nets. They're fixing their nets because they're going to go out fishing again. Dave, you said man makes plans, right? They plan on going back out fishing. No, that's not what they were going to be doing. God calls them. Follow me. Make you fishers of men. They drop their nets. What do they do? Well, hold on. I've got to exercise my free will. Nope. They're made willing in the day of God's power. They drop those nets. And they follow Christ. Then Matthew. He's collecting taxes. He's hated among his own people because he, he collects taxes for the Romans. They were the most despised people of Israel. Next to the Samaritans too and all those folks. But they hated those, those who collected taxes for Rome. They, they looked at them as traitors of their nation. And here the Lord goes up to him. Follow me. What did he do? Went home get bags of money? Nope. <laughs> he walked right away. He just left it all there and walked away, didn't he? Nathaniel, he's sitting under a tree. He's sitting under a tree. And the Lord said, Behold, in Israel, in whom is no guile. And he says, Well, wh when have you ever seen me? And he said, You were sitting under the tree. Now, he was talking to God about something that nobody else knew. And he says, oh, my, that was the Christ. <laughs> and he followed him. Oh, beloved. And that's true of every single one of us. We are called with the same invincible call. God calls us, and we drop everything and follow him. Now the things of the world don't seem as glossy as they used to, do they? 
my, oh, my. My, oh, my. God chooses whom he will, whom he wills to be his instruments. Every one of us here are chosen instruments of God. Isn't that amazing? Chosen servants of God. Every one of us who are born again are chosen servants of God. And he may save two in this family, one in this family. He just goes where he wills. Right? But he's always going to get his sheep. He's always going to get his sheep. And it's all according to his divine will and purpose. If you're saved, it's all according to God's divine will and purpose. Oh, praise God. That's wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. And every true Christian finds delight and joy and peace in the thought that God has singled us out. We marvel, why? Why me? But, oh, does it not fill your heart with joy and peace and love for our great Savior? My, oh, my. Singled out from this world and to have God's mercy bestowed upon we who are sinners from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. To have God's grace and mercy bestowed upon us and we're still sinners and yet God says, I don't remember your sin anymore. Now, someone in the world would say, oh, that, I can go, go do whatever I want. Nope. Nope. Never heard a grace preacher say that. Yeah. Yeah, God will put a stop to it. Yeah, he put a stop to it. That's right. My, oh, my. Listen to this truth from John 15. Listen to this wonderful truth about the love of God. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. Friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I've made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me. Now, I love this verse. You talk about combat. Man saying they chose him first. Any believer, look at this. That's why we say no. No, if he hadn't have chosen us, we would never would have chose him. Look what he says here. John 15, 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I've chosen you. And ordained you. There's another one of those words. Ordained you what? That you should go and bring forth fruit. And that's fruit of the Holy Spirit of God. That's him working in us, beloved. And that your fruit shall remain. That whatsoever you shall ask in your Father's name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. That's Again, that's the one thing Satan can't counterfeit. You've heard me say that many times. He cannot counterfeit the, the true love that believers have for each other in Christ. He can counterfeit a lot of other things, but he can't counterfeit that. And the gospel, beloved, is the power of God unto salvation for we who believe. It's not a theological discourse. Do you know the gospel is not a theological discourse? It's not. The gospel is not many things. The gospel is not I like what Tim James said. The gospel is not a pie chart that man can divide according to their particular conviction or disposition. It's not that at all. It's one thing. Christ. 
is Christ. The gospel's concerning him. The gospel tells us what he's done. The gospel tells us who he did it for. The gospel tells us where he came from. The gospel tells us where he is now. Isn't that wonderful? People start, they start debating all kinds of things. Like Henry said one time to a preacher I know, he said, that's not the issue. Christ is the issue. Christ is the issue. People want to start debating you about all these things. Christ is the issue. Yes. I'm, I'm a poor sinner and nothing at all, but Jesus Christ is my all in all. Remember Happy Jack? Yep. Oh, my. Isn't that wonderful? Remember those deacons? They, they went to the deacon board, and they were like, ask them all these questions. He says, I don't know any answers to those, but I know this. I know this. I'm a poor sinner and nothing at all, but Jesus Christ is my all in all. <laughs> Amen. That's all we have to, that's all we, that's all we profess, right? All of us. All of us. My, oh, my. No, Christ and Christ alone is, is the singular object of the gospel. It's concerning him. It tells us of what he's already accomplished for sinners. It's absolutely amazing. Now, sinners, uh, just the Israelites? No, Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles. To the world, the gospel's foolishness. Oh. To the religious, Christ is a stumbling block. Remember, he's a stumbling block to the Pharisees. But to them that are called, 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 ordained by God, called with an effectual calling, called with an invincible calling, called by the Holy Spirit of God. To us, it's the power of God unto salvation. It's the wisdom and power of God. Men and women say, oh, there must be more. There must be more. There must be an explanation that goes along with just, just salvation in Christ and him. Oh, there must, there must be evidence. There must be works that I have to do. Mm. But the cast down and broken dirt pot spills out the light of the message. It's cryptic to all those who do not know Christ. Salvation is in Christ and him crucified. Christ and him crucified. Christ and him crucified is the simplicity and singularity of the message that sends God's enemies fleeing. Fleeing. Screaming while the believer stands in Christ by the grace of God. Turn with me if you would. We're going to close with this portion of scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Oh my. May we meditate upon this wonderful portion of scripture this week. Again, we, none of us were looking. Looking for Christ when he saved us. Uh, we were made willing in the day of his power. We were given faith to believe. We were born again by the Holy Spirit of God. Look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Brother Dave, was it foolishness to you and I before we heard it? It was, wasn't it? Not no more, though. But it was then. Look at this. Look at this. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. That's what it is now to us. It's the power of God. It's the power of God, beloved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. 
Where's the wise? Where are all these famous philosophers? They're dead and buried. Dead. Where's Christ? He's alive, beloved. He's in glory. Oh, my. Where's the wise? Where's the scribe? Where are these people that wrote all these things? I told you about that fellow that used to write against God, and then they turned his house into a publishing, a, a Bible publishing house. <laughs> Printing press. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Just amazing. Oh, my. Where's he? He's, in, he's dead. Where's the disputer of this world? Hath God not made... Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Yeah. Where's Buddha? He's, he, he's, just, he's just this piece of stone in a restaurant right now. You go there. Right? My, oh my. Oh my. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. That's you and I. That's you and I, beloved. Look at this. Look at this. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. We see that on Mars Hill. The Greeks just wanted to hear something new. So Paul preached to them the unknown God. Oh, my. But we preach. This is what, this is what the gospel preacher preaches. It's on our bulletin, too, isn't it? Every week. This is, the, this is what's most important. I was telling someone that we, we sing two songs. They said they went somewhere, they sing like eight songs, and then a short message, and I said, well, we sing two songs, and then we preach the gospel because the gospel is paramount. The gospel. Everything, all our service is around the preaching of the word. The preaching of the word. Look at this, Paul writes, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block. And unto the Greeks, foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, that's us, beloved, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God, the weakness of God, is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world. Now, foolish there means common. I'm just a common guy. Eh? We're just common guys. Common. Yeah, and foolish. God hath chosen the foolish things of the world. Why? To confound the wise. They don't understand it. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world. To confound the things which are mighty. See, the world says, well, that surely, if anyone should be, it should be the strong guy who's... who's God just chooses the weak things of the world. The common things of the world. Now there's a few, there's a few, there's a few who are mighty. There's a few who are noble, but not many. No, God chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty and base things of the world. Wicked. Wicked things of the world. And things which are despised. Yeah. Had God chosen. Yeah, I see me all through there. Do you? My. Yea, and things which are not. To bring to naught things that are. That no, why, why does he choose 
the weak, the despised, the wicked? Because God gets all the glory. We know what God saved us from, beloved. We know. We know who we were before we were saved. We know even who we are after we're saved. My, oh my, but isn't this wonderful? This is wonderful. What a Savior. That no flesh should glory in his presence. We got nothing to glory about except in Christ. We, we have, and we know it. We know it. Here we were. We used to serve self. We used to exalt self. We used to want, what was the old saying? Um, get everything you can. You know, make yourself happy. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. Well, now, now, we glory in the Lord. We glory in what he's done for us. He saved us. We're washed in his precious blood. All our sins are forgiven. We're made whiter than snow in the blood of Christ. That fountain for uncleanness, we've been dipped in it, beloved. And we've come up like Nahum came up out of that river with no leprosy, with pictured sin. Gone. We're going to see that too because that happened with Elijah. Elijah's the one who said, go dip yourself in the Jordan seven times. And he said, I got lots of rivers at home. Ah, he got all mad. And his servant said, just do it. What can it hurt? Just do it. Oh my. <laughs> see, sometimes we're hard-headed. Yeah. Right? Oh, my. Look at this, though. That no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are ye, being us, in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us, he's all our wisdom, he's the Lord our righteousness, he's our sanctification, we're made holy in him, and he's our redemption, beloved. That covers it all. That covers it all. That according it is written, he that glorieth, what? Let him glory in the Lord. And all we can say is amen and amen. Right? Amen and amen. Brother Dave, can you close?